Hey, everybody. Hi. Sorry about that intro. Uh, Izzy must have destroyed the gain on uh, on the cart. Izzy. I was like, why is that so hot and over modded? She likes to get up on the Yato board and just fuck with all the settings. Oh. So, cause oh, what, ki- what little kid doesn't? Uncle Squeezer was supposed buttons. to uh, build her a bit a little box to go around it. I'm work. I'm I'm work. Wood is very expensive right now. It's cheaper for you to just Redo reset everything. <laughs> we are back. Uh, I'm talking kind of so there would be. I mean, not that I've been doing a lot of impressions in the show to begin with, but I, we Mandalorian got to Enchantress again, and she passed out on the couch. Uh, she made it through Ted Lasso, which was a great episode. Mm-hmm. But Mando, that episode Don't. three, the Coruscant episode. Whew, Episode four was great. I loved it. So it brought uh, me. Wait, which one was four? Four is on... the dragon that takes the kid. Fourth dragon. And then five. I didn't is... get there yet. I just got the four. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're behind uh, the five, man. You're behind. All right. So last week. Four was so the one with Ahmed tonight. Best. No. Yeah. We're three behind now. There's three or three or, or maybe we did. I... Yeah. Yeah. We're three behind. I missed. I, I I started like going through some news and I got stuff semi spoiled. So I, I oh yeah, to, like, I've just been straight avoiding it. Bug, yeah, um, I, I wasn't looking for that. It's like their headlines are very like, hey. Like, yeah, I just I, I'm very good at ignoring things I'm not interested in seeing. But uh, four was kind of three was kind of a, no. I'm sorry, it was four. Four was kind of the redemption of Ahmed Best. Uh, Miso now a Jedi. Hmm. You don't know what I'm talking about? Yes. No, I do. Oh. Yeah. You just said. Hmm. Yeah. He's Jar Jar. He's Jar Jar. No, I was trying to. I was trying to think of fucking. Uh, so that was. Was that the same one as the long like subplot? No, that was three. Episode? That was three. That was three when they're on Coruscant and it makes no sense. I still don't understand it, what the hell they did. It, it. I don't know. Like it was almost like they're trying every now and then to like throw in a backdoor pilot for something. I'm like, where is it? Like that whole thing could have been ten minutes. Yeah, them going to this 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 uh, starship. Uh, what are those called? Destroyer, destroyer, star destroyer, yeah, star destroyer. Going on star destroyer, getting the stuff. The the cops coming and arresting him, and she being in on it, and then her wiping his brain, and then it finally gets back to um, Bo-Katan and uh, Dinjarin uh, landing back on the refuge, showing that they've uh, bathed in the living waters. Then they rejoin that Mandalorian refuge, which went back into the show I love, where it was like yes. a, a plot of the week where he has to go in and save a town. He, mm-hmm. um, Grogu does his cute, cute little flip and shoots the darts, which was great. Uh, I know some people hate Grogu, uh, apparently. Oh, well, I mean, he's so adorable. I can't not put, hate yeah, him. Put, put him in line with the rest of <laughs> right. all the other hateable Star Wars characters. But that four, so one, two, and three, one was okay. Two and three, I was like, there was like pulling teeth to get through. I have four was back to a nice 23 minute brisk pace that I could sink my teeth yeah. into. That's what the show needs. Don't, yeah. And and I, I've come to, uh, like last week's, uh, there was too many, they're going down to the cameo. It's like a Simpsons episode now. It's like everyone wants to be on the show. So everyone like gets a cameo and it just kind of. Who was in last week? Uh, do you want me to spoil it for you? Wait. 
Uh, I thought you meant three. No, okay, go ahead. Spoil. I don't care. Okay, I mean, it's no spoiler, but as soon as you see him, it's going to... Uh, Jack Black and Lizzo. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, sorry. And it's just like glare. It's like... There's another cameo, which like, oh, he's... I thought... <laughs> you sure? I'm sorry to fat shame anybody right here, but it's the, the joke's just too easy. I thought Lizzo's cameo was that big guy on the train in episode three. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign off and give you a pass. Okay, I got no, a pass okay. from Squeezer. Yeah, as a member of the the, the well, she'll be on fat community Ozempic soon and lose all that weight. Yeah, uh, oh, but it's just oh, it was oh, so like Ozempic. It just took it just takes you out of it. Like the, I mean, it, it's, I, I love like, the Ahmed Best cameo as the Jedi. Yeah, who saved but him. that. But that, that He's a Jedi, and it kind of makes sense. And like, you don't know. It's like, it's not like he was like Jar Jar. It's not like he was wearing like, Listen, the fucking. Tennis I in his head. would mark out like crazy for a Jar Jar cameo in the Mandalorian. It'd make no sense. <laughs> no, uh, but like, or just like his severed head. No, I liked Jar. I like. I'm an Episode One defender. Two and three, eh. but I, one uh, is exciting. No, I don't. It's, it's a fun. Uh, romp in uh, political turmoil yeah uh, he, he's Ugh. he's grown on me a little bit they could have toned him down maybe a little bit but I get what it was a, it's a situation where Lucas should have heeded Michael Crichton and Spielberg's words from 93 <laughs> they're too preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't <laughs> stop to think with whether or not they should <laughs> yes and kids loved him so Spiel, uh, yeah. Lucas was right he's like kids will love him and they did it was like Poochie, but they actually did love him. <laughs> I, I need to go now. My so, planet needs me. Speaking of hate, I thought we, we haven't got any reviews on the show in a while, Squeezer. Oh, that's a good thing, I guess. Well, it is and it isn't because reviews are what gets us into the Apple podcast algorithm. Ah. And it, it's what gets people, new people to discover and listen to our show. That being said, I figured I'd revisit some of our bad reviews and see if oh, we've fun. atoned for the sins of our past. If you I would indulge it. me. I, I think we have a bit. Um, yeah, sure. I might have gotten a little too carried away over uh, COVID with the the, the uh, bad impressions. But it, that was a matter of filling a show every day. <laughs> um, so two years ago, BKL... E, uh, B. Kleppert gave us two stars and said, please stop the impersonations. Really enjoy the topics in the host, but the one host's impressions are terrible. Each time he goes into Vince McMahon, which unfortunately is very often, I have to turn my volume down. Uh, <laughs> but once he stops, I have to turn it back up. Well, yeah, <laughs> this continues throughout the episode. I try to continue listening because it's fun. Listen for 90s kids, but stop the loud impersonations. Otherwise, five stars. So we've kind of stopped for the most part. You want to come back and give us five stars? Yeah, come on back. Um, all right. And not saying they won't come back, but not like they were. Used to be fun. Eating in, says two years ago. This was a fun pot. So this is, I think two years ago is when we lost our way a bit, Squeezer. I lost my way. This was a fun podcast for a long time, but they're clearly out of ideas. Well, that's not that. Hasn't yeah, changed. That, that's yeah. Sorry. COVID lockdown has hit them particularly hard, and they've gone from endearingly rambling about to completely unfocused. On top of that, the near constant impressions, aka yelling into the mic. You spelled mic wrong, buddy. It's M I C. 
dude, stop believing the people when they tell you they're good. No one ever told me they're good. I'm going to point that out right now, right? No. No. They laugh at them and they think they're funny. No one ever, ever claimed that they were good. Yeah. And, and they're laughing at you. not Yeah, with you. not with me. They're laughing at me, which I was okay with. I would take any laughs at that point. Finally causing me to unsubscribe. Enjoy the, pre, the episodes pre-2020, then move on. All right, eating in. We've changed. We've grown as a show, and um, I think you need to come back. Yes. come. I don't know how you're going to hear this. That was three stars. I think we could get him to go five. Or yeah, that. I'll, I'll take a four. Or just because yeah. we, we, we fixed that, that, we, that we, one we, issue. There's we, no screen, Yeah, we still have. We are clearly out, out of, of new ideas. ideas. Well, we never. There, we, there wasn't ever a new idea on this show. That's true. That's, to be fair, this was it's, talking it's, about the 80s and is, 90s. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, PK's Geek Kingdom two years ago said, great show, but gave us three stars. I've been listening to the Rad Years almost since day one, and I've always enjoyed Arcane Squeezer's repartee and obvious chemistry. Well, you know what that oh. is. They have a love for the 80s and 90s nostalgia that is almost palpable, and it shines through each week's show topic. I but, don't like that he thinks it's almost palpable. Yeah, we should be palpable. Fully palpable. <laughs> Fully palpable. The impersonations that RK insists on utilizing each week border on insufferable. <laughs> to call them grating and irritating would be underselling it. They often just... make the show near impossible to get through, and I find myself fast-forwarding through segments to avoid them. Fair enough. I'm still a huge fan of the show, but seriously, the impressions need to go. PK, they're kind of gone. I mean, sometimes I'll do like, God damn, pal. But pretty much, yeah. I just the lunch lady is probably dead. Um, we haven't heard from her in a while or molesting Aww. some other new young boy. Ah, uh, I know. I, I mean, that's terrible. Um, the fourth stranger said great podcast. So many terrible impressions, but still give us four stars. This, oh, wow. This is a great podcast. So much nostalgia, but please stop with the speaker blowing impressions. They're almost funny at first, <laughs> but they wear out a oh, welcome very fast. Would have been five stars, not for the headache inducing impressions. Well, now you just have headache inducing me. And yes, there's a lot of four or five star reviews in here, but um, like, okay, Gooch, Managuchi, five stars for sure, but you guys are the dopest dope I've ever smoked. Of absolute treasures of talk. I love everything you guys put out. An absolute highlight of my week. <laughs> Listen to you both. That being said, good God, y'all. RK, we've got to put the kibosh on the impressions. It's played out, brother. I missed a lot of these. I know a few select jabronis keep <laughs> requesting it, but it's just getting a bit well done. That hurt me to say, and I'm sorry. I love you. Keep ratting on Gooch. Gooch, I hope, I hope the show has come back to being something you like yeah i hope you're still here i hope everyone knows i never thought my impressions were good <laughs> i just sometimes they're funny sometimes they make me laugh um poor quality audio quality is poor their voices fade in and out plus too far off topic rambling that was from back streets back all right <laughs> was that your <laughs> wife <laughs> it might be uh, it had nothing to do with the show either. Yeah, some of these I missed, but yeah, the incessant ramble. I mean, that's if you listen. Maybe they only listened to the first episode, and then they came they back thought a they're like, later, "Oh, like, this show is very this is what it is on task and on point." No. Oh, here's if one. You listen to the second episode. It's yeah. Juggling Josh said, "Um, I'm." Oh, I was surprised to see so few reviews here. This is a great podcast. 
wait for it every week. Thanks, guys. And he said, listening from China. And he said, that was my first review, five stars. Now I skip through the selections. But even then, the impressions can be too much. It even gets political sometimes. Do we get political? We try not to. I maybe even start when I said I can't I can't make this fat joke about Lizzo that she was that fucking monster on the train, but (laughs) (laughs) I still said it. (laughs) Um it even gets political sometimes. It hurts to leave such a bad review because I know it takes a lot of effort to do this. Hope to leave a five star review again. Juggling Josh, listening from China. Bring back that five star review. I think we've earned it. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll take three. Go from go to give us three. Come back and give us three. Um. Anyway, if you could, if you could bring it, bring it. Uh, uh, did I read? Have become unsufferable. Has become unsufferable. Went back and listened to some old episodes, and the difference is night and day. Used to be so fun to listen to. Now can't go thirty seconds without an obnoxious impression. Goddamn, pal. Um, <laughs> but see this one says had to redo my almost year old review just to say yes more squeezers lunch ca- lady <laughs> gold arcade gold <laughs> so, how know, long ago was that that was right after the one about the insufferable it was right under it one year ago children roasted okay okay yeah so I, I children roasted I hope you don't now think the show's bad because the lunch lady's not here. And she might come back, or she might not, or there might be some new bad impressions. Um, but, uh, yeah. Sorry, Christy just sent us a text. She, oh. her, her, her video of her um, skating and falling. Yes. Got is at the 1.7k views and 12 shares. Nice. Yeah, I might well make kids watch it twice. They thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I said it was 1.3k was me. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, any anyone falling down is it's funny. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, so that those are some of our bad reviews. So if you want to come back and you still listen and you want to give us like. Go from one to three or one to two stars. Just, you know, because I, aside from the wrestling show, which I had to do. Yeah, few, that was, in, yeah, we knew that going You in. probably didn't listen to that show anyway. So that being said, let's get some uh, new higher rated reviews on there. So people see the show and they're like, oh, this was reviewed last week. It must be good. We trick them and they get addicted to Squeezer's dulcet tones. And there we are. Yes. New listeners. Uh, I don't know. About, I mean. And then they can leave us bad reviews. What? Uh, speaking of reviews, Squeezer, mm-hmm. uh, give us your review without spoilers of the Mario Brothers movie. We're going to see it at Shankweiler's tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a good drive-in movie. Um, so I guess I don't. I didn't look at Rotten Tomatoes lately. I did it before we left, but I think it was like 50% critics, but 94%. Uh, audience yeah which in this day and age sense. no one gives a flying fuck what critics yeah. have to say and what the big criticism of it was was and they said animation was great the acting voice acting i, I and i will i i'm 100 percent for it. like i said uh like they did it with chippendale and i thought it made sense and they, they still pay respect to the old voices and the uh 
the silliness of it. <clears throat> I thought they did a great job. I mean, there's how can you Char- Chris Pratt and Charlie Day are hysterical. Yes, how can that hysterical. that has and, to come and through? And they really become the character. They really do, and it it almost feels like that is their voice. They, they actually do a good job. You like you don't miss that the 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 cartoony like here we go, and it's there. Trust me, it's there. Everything is there. That's probably but, just how in Japan they think we all sound. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how you think everyone in Italy sounds. Yeah. So. Well, I was yeah. walking through the streets around going, if we're going to want to see the fountain, because yeah. the lady who gave us like a, a map tour was yeah. talking like that, and I could not stop. Like I was holding back yeah. the laughs. And we all know what we think people in Japan sound like. I'm not going to do it because no. you already started a war with Lizzo. Hepa? Thank you. Start a second. <laughs> second. Oh, Jesus. Hepa? Thank you. <laughs> Listen, that's that's okay. <laughs> just cancel <Add>. me. <laughs> I'm dying to be canceled. Uh, I, we're not important enough. To be best, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's that. <laughs> no that's from a very innocent movie called Revenge of the Nerds. How can anyone cancel that or think it's uh, inappropriate? And anyhow, so a nerd Revenge of the like, Nerds. How and so there's a lot. There's a lot of things in Revenge of the Nerds that they should really be worried about. So a bunch of nerds break into a house, um, sexually assault the women by stealing their underwear while they were nude, then implant cameras to invade their privacy and watch them naked. Then one, the head nerd rapes the hedgehog's girlfriend. And they're the good guys. And they're the good guys, yeah. But I fucking love that movie. God yeah. damn. Yes. The guys that have good grades are active in the school and <laughs> are play sports. They're the bad guys, folks. Yes. Yes. And this is this is a uh, dying for a uh, new spin remake on some streaming service somewhere. Oh, please don't. That's why I'm sorry. They're yeah. they're trying to remake it. Like it was like in production, then it got shut down. And I think it's like yeah. You can't remake this movie because <laughs> you just can't. We can't. Yeah. The rape scene's just not tasteful anymore. And, no, it's and not. The movie anymore. hinged on the rape scene. It was. The movie hinged on it. And yeah. 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 No. I don't know if Disney's going to sign off on that. Uh... I don't think Disney. I think Amazon technically. I think it was MGM. No, but the Vader mask. Oh, that was that was that was enough of a listen. Copyright law, Ryan here knows that was enough of a knockoff. That wasn't a true Vader mask. Okay. Oh, now they'll still. Let me see who owns Revenge of the Nerds. This is this 1984. It's not. It's five years prior to our movie topic here. But but you probably watched it in 1989. Oh god damn! I watched it every year. Oh, it's 20th Century Fox. Disney does own it. Disney owns Revenge of the Nerds. My God. Um, oh, I was thinking of something, and my brain just stopped. Damn it! Something important. Oh, we we're talking about Mario. Mm. Oh, but the the biggest criticism was that it lacked a uh, like a uh, uh, sense of heart. Original story too. It was a story we all knew. Story and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of all over the place and. A lot of things happened for no reason, and um, yeah, that's one hundred percent true. And who cares? It was like their biggest complaint was it's just a big bunch of fan service with Easter eggs, callbacks, and 
Well, yeah. Yeah. It's what you wanted. It was fun. It was silly. Uh, the kids were laughing. I was laughing at more stuff than they even were. There was a lot of stuff they didn't get. And if you want to call it, like, Easter eggs and call it, like, oh, wow, they touched a flower and they get, like, firepower. Well, yeah, that's the fucking how it works. That's the movie. Right. That's the game. Like, So, like... Of course, it, there, it might look like Easter eggs and callbacks, and some things might be incredibly forced. Uh, but it's all in, for a good cause, which is, yeah, fan service. It's fan service. It's great. What, was it an absolute masterpiece? No. Was it uh, a lot of fun? It's, Did it look great? doesn't yeah. matter. It's making a boatload yeah. of money. Oh, fuck it's yeah, making it a fuck ton of money. Mm-hmm. You thought Sonic Two made money? This fucking made money. Yeah, it was it was fun, and a lot of, uh, and not just like homage to games. It pays, it pulls from, literally. It, it starts off with all right, uh, all right, all right. I'm not gonna, yeah, all right. Pull the expands all pump the properties. The brakes, squeezer. That was it was fun. So. The remake of Revenge of the Nerds going backtrack was slated for release in 2007. Um, it was canceled in November 2006 after two weeks of filming. Cast included Adam Brody, Dan Bird, Kate Cassidy, Kristen Cavallari, Jenna Dewan, Chris Marquette, Ryan Pinkston, Efron Ramirez, and Nick Zano. Directed by Kyle Newman, who Kyle Newman is uh, Carl from. Um, no, no, it's not Carl. I thought that was. Carl. Um, he directed Fanboys, that Star Wars movie. And it was written, one of the writers was Adam F. Goldberg of the Goldbergs. Huh. Um, but they canceled after two weeks. I want to see that two weeks footage. What? Are, who's fucking dick in Hollywood do we have to suck to see that two weeks of footage? <laughs> uh, I think he's in jail uh, for just that. Nah, Weinstein didn't own this movie. It's Fox. Disney. Now we I know, s- but... Yeah. Oh, well, you already sucked Mickey's dick down there. Couldn't you fucking... <laughs> you already took it in the fucking chin from him when you went to Disneyland. Couldn't you at least... Or Disney World. Couldn't you at least have said, hey, can RK see that two weeks of footage? Or at least read... I gotta find... The script's gotta be online, right? It's the internet, right? Well, yeah, it is the internet, so... Uh, Ted McGinley, by the way, is in this new show we're watching called uh, Shrinking on Apple TV. That's like with Harrison Ford. That's actually pretty good. And I'm like, why hasn't? Why did Harrison Ford all of a sudden start, decide to start acting again? Because he's he's great. But it's just like, oh, he starts to act again. He plays a great part in this show, Shrinking. Um, by the, it's I mean the shows. Brought to brought to us by the same people who did Scrubs, obviously, and uh, Ted Lasso. So you know it's good, but it stars fucking Jason Segel, who's hysterical, and yeah. fucking Han Solo. Also, the Indiana Jones trailer looks good. Yeah, I just watched it. Uh, I'm I'm that one made me. Uh... Not that I wasn't excited for it, but I, I like the oh, I like where they're going with it. What it's made you excited nice about it? it? Well, yeah. Uh, just oh uh, God, I'm indie. Yeah, uh, it was just maybe just I was happy for a good trailer because it was. It was. Uh, it 
nostalgic. It was it was a good trailer in that it didn't give too much away. Yes. Um, the Marvel's trailer was pretty good too. I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Because I wasn't sure where Miss Marvel was going at the end, where Carol Danvers lands in a room, and it kind of explains that, but doesn't give away the movie. Um. So as Monica Monica Rambeau, Carol Danvers, and Kamala Khan are now a team of powerful beings. Uh, are are you speaking of powerful beings? Uh, are you excited for the? Uh, did you watch the Peter Pan and Wendy trailer? I don't even know I, what is that. <laughs> oh, they're uh, you know how they're remaking all the animated movies to live action. Didn't? Yeah. <laughs> they're doing Peter Pan too. They did that. It was called Hook. Oh well, yes, but this is uh, literally just. You know the animated movie, but with people in it now. Huh? Didn't? Okay, whatever. Moving on. Uh, but it's going right to Disney Plus. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer looks really cool too. <laughs> I thought you'd be excited because you love the Green Knight. Uh, the it's Green David Lowry. Oh, is it the same guy who did the Green Knight? Yeah. That guy. That movie is a piece of shit, and that guy should not be working in Hollywood. <laughs> Anyone who thinks they're a film scholar and thinks that movie is good, go fuck yourself, because that is not good. That movie sucks. I, I still haven't seen it. Yeah, don't waste your time. It fucking sucks. It's but it's a figure from Arth what Arthurian Arthurian romance. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather you King know. Arthur. I ever watched a kid in King Arthur's court. Yeah. Or that movie with Martin or, Lawrence. <laughs> or Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Or The Holy Grail, yeah. That movie. Or even Excalibur. That's got fucking Captain Picard in it. Was such piece of shit. And there's boobies. David Lowry. He wrote, oh my God, look at this douchebag. They let him work with kids. Jesus, I don't think you're allowed to say that. I'm saying it. He looks like a pedophile. He looks like a vampire pedophile. As long as you say looks like, I guess. Yeah, I'm not insinuating he is. Yes, I'm just no, saying he just looks the like. The visual aspect oh of my his character. God, so this, didn't they make this exactly Peter? What I tell my kids. How <laughs> many Peter Pan movies do they have? Didn't they just make this? Like, didn't we just get this movie? No. Yes, we've been we, working on it for so long. No, 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 no. The 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 movie with clocks from um. There was just a Peter Pan live action movie, and it was in like the mid two thousands, and it had the song "Clocks" from Coldplay in it. Oh, two thousand three. Was it? That makes sense. Let's see. It was called Pan. Pan. Peter Pan. Yeah, like how many fucking live action Peter Pans do we need? Uh. I forgot this ever. I don't know if this even existed. Peter. What about Pan? I think it was called Pan. Oh, this says Peter Pan. I wonder if it came, if it was one of those. Cause I don't, I don't know any of this. What about? You're right. I think there was a Pan. Yes, 2015 Pan. Nope. Different. It's a prequel to Peter and Wendy. Oh, of course. But yes. 
What Peter Pan? And it's had uh, Hugh Jackman as Blackbeard. Peter Pan movie with the song clocks. Oh, so it's not even like Captain Hook? No, it's Blackbeard. Because Captain Hook is owned by Disney. Ah, gotcha. I think. Yeah, Peter Pan had the song clocks, yeah. Peter Pan, disambiguation. This is good sh shit right here. How do you look at movies that Peter Pan? Okay, yeah. Yeah, 2003. You're right. It was 2003. Yeah, we just, we have these. I guess 2003 was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and if it was wrestling in 2003, we'd be talking about it, so. Uh, yeah, true. But it was a box office failure. Lost $95 million. Wow. That's a lot of money to lose. Guess what? Because no one fucking wants to see this. No. And that's, I have a fairly good feeling that's why it's going to uh, write to Disney Plus. And critics loved it, too. Of course they did. They hate Mario. Mm, they love this piece of shit. Um, what about Hook? What Did Hook lose money? No, it couldn't have. Don't look it up. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it oh. up. No, it didn't lose money. Oh, shit, yeah. $309 million. 309 off a $70 million budget. So you figure another $100 million for it doubled its money. Yeah. But it was, you know. And, and you got uh, toys and Happy Meals and... Oh, yeah. Merchandise. Merchandise. I had my beanbag chair. Literally... <laughs> Uh, uh, like the ridiculousness of marketing. I had a hook bean, my hook and Peter Pan, or Peter Pan, hook and Spider Man beanbag chairs. Spielberg doesn't like this movie, apparently. I never knew this. Did we talk about this in the show? What, hook? Yeah. In the years since release of the film, Steven Spielberg admitted in interviews that he's not proud of the film and disappointed with the final results. In 2011, he told Entertainment Weekly, there are parts of Hook I love. I'm really proud of my work right up through Peter being hauled off into a parachute out the window, heading for Neverland. I'm a little less proud of the Neverland sequences because I'm uncomfortable with the highly stylized world that today, of course, I would probably have done with live-action character work inside a completely digital set. But we didn't have the technology to do it then, and my imagination only went as far as building physical sets and trying to paint trees blue and red. He oh, gave him, fair enough. He's disappointed but the limit. Eh. He gave a more blunt assessment in 2013. I want to see Hook again because I don't like that. I, I so don't like the movie and hoping someday I'll see it again and perhaps like some of it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I probably haven't seen it since I was a kid either. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> you, you also made AI. So. AI is a giant piece of shit. Yeah. But what does that have to so. do with? We've discussed, is if gonna... we've discussed many times. Yeah, if you go back and yeah. watch AI, that's a piece of shit. You know, like that. Yeah. But we've so, discussed many yeah. times that after Schindler's List and let's Saving Private Ryan, sure, and and then of course the Fablemans, which is about his life. He really hasn't made a good movie. Fair enough. But have you watched Hook? good movie by his standards? Have you watched Hooks in Thirty Years, Squeezer? Yeah. When? Uh, within the last. Four or five years, probably. Oh, wow. I probably haven't watched it in 30 years, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was. Did you watch it for the show, or did you watch it with your daughters, or? 
No, it was just, I think it was just on. Hmm. Like it was actually like on TV. So I'm like, oh, okay. Is the topic tonight Peter Pan? Why not? I mean, we're. Is the topic there, tonight. I don't know. Hey, was there a Peter Pan movie made in 1989? Probably. Remember that live action one they used to play all the time with the woman playing Peter Pan? Like the stage oh, yeah, show? Yeah, I was. I... Ugh, I hated it. My mom oh, loved that, that and I hated it. Peter Pan 1989 re release. Oh, the oh yeah, there was a re-release of the, and I saw that when I was doing my squeezer research. That's right. <laughs> well, so uh, this the topic is talking about movies adjacent to '89 because that's all we've been doing. <laughs> Let's start the show. I think. All right. You go first with your first pick. Here it is. Oh, I should pot up the um, sound machine. Mel Gibson. And Danny Glover now we're cooking. are coming your way. Everybody's favorite weapon is back. I'll take two of them out, you take one. Then again, you take two, I'll take one. Lethal Weapon 2. I'm not a cop tonight, Roger. It's personal. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. I'm too old for this shit. Oh, yeah. This is where it... it uh, I love all these movies. Um, I I wouldn't be mad if they made... I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed they stopped at four. <laughs> you could have kept going. Um, it's... Uh, but I think two's the best one. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Waxwork... I've been... After I saw Cocaine Bear, I was like, oh, I need to get the soundtrack... And Waxworks is putting it out. But listen, you motherfuckers, don't go buying it and selling it out before I get my copy. <laughs> I'm like, I knew Waxworks announced they were going to do it. When are they going to put it out? And I, I love that. That movie is fucking rad as fuck. I didn't get a chance to see it yet. Is I, that the, the... I, I don't know if it's up your alley. I said it was, but I, I don't know. Huh? Might be too many jump scares in it for you. Oh, I don't like jump scares. No, I, I'm what the, I'm what the uh, cool kids call a pussy. You're um, a sweet boy. That's what you are. And a sweet boy doesn't like to be scared by a, a drug addict. I don't bear. like being scared. Bears are scary enough. I don't need a. Well, I guess that's the whole thing of cocaine bear, but. Uh yeah, but the, uh, Lethal Weapon Two I think is the best of of the four of them. Oh and... come on, three is the best. You think? Man, eh, maybe two is. I, well, My, well of course really? Jeffrey liked fucking four the best. Well, it's because the thing is, it's like you keep adding all the characters. So it's, right, you know, Lethal Weapon Four had fucking. What? That was Chris Rock. Chris Rock and Jet Li and Joe Pesci had a bigger role and yeah, he was on the cover, right? Uh, I think that yeah, they put them all on. They put them on uh, three. He was on the cover of two. Or also, yes. I should say, right? Uh, was he on the? Co- he wasn't on the cover of two. He was on the cover of three. three even yeah. though he show, even though he gets his. Well, I guess he was a supporting character in two, even though he's like. The, yeah, three is my so dad's he, favorite. He, yeah. And three is the one we watched the most. Yeah, that's the one where they added in uh, Rene Russo. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Like they each add uh, like a new character each time. 
You know, that's why I wanted it to keep going. By now, they'd be like, they oh, did here's keep Alf. going. There's six of them. There's six. Have you not been watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Oh. <laughs> they made Lethal Weapon five and six. <laughs> that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. I totally threw you off with that. In Squeezer's research, you didn't go back and watch those episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, did you? No, I, I did not. But where there's not enough time in the day. Is there a Lethal Weapon Five is in the works? It's already done. It, oh, it is. Mac, Charlie, and Dennis <laughs> did it. Uh. No, they've talked about like they've uh um. Mel Gibson said that he's making it, but there's never okay. been a confirmation from a studio or uh, Danny Glover saying he was going to make it with some guy who yelled the N-word. Uh, <laughs> he wants to get his wife raped by a gang of N-words. Um, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. 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 And plus, you don't, we don't have uh, Richard Donner to... Yeah, it, so. Dick Donner was the king. Listen, I'm not saying Mel Gibson. I'm not saying he should be canceled. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, as a black man, Danny Glover might have an issue with that. Maybe. Yes. You never know. You don't. And Joe he Pesci. Got to, he got he got to make his little his speech in Lethal Weapon Two that was actually used in a political speech to end apartheid. Which you could argue that Lethal Weapon Two, you know, ended apartheid in South Africa. You could argue that, yeah. Yeah. Or not argue it. It did. It's solely responsible for it. Um, but, it, 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 you know, Lethal Weapon 1 was a, such a success that they wanted, you know, a sequel, of course. So they went to Shane Black. Took a while. Rewrote it. The script came back. And... Uh, I would watch studio... a Lethal Weapon 5 by Shane Black. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch... If Shane Black... Like when he, I love Iron Man three, even though people shit on it. But I thought Shane Black did a very lethal weapon job on it. Um, trying to, there's so many of them. There's three. It's no, no. I'm just well. It's yeah. It's still a lot though. Um, one he becomes Iron Man. What's that? And one he becomes Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Two, it's the whole you know, am I Iron Man? Am I drunk? What What's my purpose? Three was the fallout from PTSD of uh, that's the, the that Avengers. The, that's the Mandarin one, right? Yes, that's the post Avengers. Okay. Not gotcha. the real Mandarin, the fake Not Mandarin. The, yeah, that's the big construction site fight at the end, right? The boat fight, yeah. The boat fight, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. The um the barge fight, I guess. Is yes. Uh, but yeah, so initially the script was a lot darker, uh, more violent, and Riggs died at the end. Ah. Oh. Yeah, and it's not what the studio was looking for. They realized they wanted there's uh, more gold stick. in them there hills. Yeah, and they wanted to make sure Riggs stayed alive because they had plans, and they were not stopping after two. Um. So yeah, it got rewritten and uh shane black was not a fan of uh, the the following like three and four as well uh he doesn't like the route that they took with the silliness and the shtick um and they, he didn't like what they did to the Riggs character he i think he wanted to keep it definitely 
stick to the mental illness aspect of it and not uh, find any humor beyond what you saw. But I think it's hysterical, and it's responsible for one of the greatest scenes in cinema history, and that's the toilet bomb scene. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the it's the best it's it's the best moment in all Lethal Weapon movies. Okay. And it might be the most the greatest moment in cinema history. Um Danny Glover sitting there pooping on the toilet finds a, a note and why would you I guess just to mess with you a little bit cuz you want if you're going to blow someone up you want them to know you're going to blow them up I guess. But uh there was a note on the toilet paper and the bomb was Rigged on the toilet, and then, of course, you know the bet. Like he's talking about his legs falling asleep, so Mel Gibson has to stay there and yank him off the toilet. And of course, everyone has a giant cast iron tub that protects you from the whole house is like decimated. But the you know, the bathtub saved him, so that's why I'm ripping all my uh, uh, tubs out and putting cast iron claw tubs in just in case. Uh, well, I mean, my toilet blows up every morning. But, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the our guys blow the fucking seats right off it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta bring my uh, uh, my sink wrench tomorrow. Remind me of that. Yeah, because guys can't not break a toilet. Um, but yeah, and it's got Hans, who plays such a great evil uh, South African bad guy. Hans from uh, the the sweet man the sweet um, what what would it be like Nor Norian Norwegian man uh, from Mighty Ducks uh, is your evil uh, South African uh, drug dealer arms dealer uh, politician yes yeah but he, he does it so well and then of course and at the end spoilers. Uh, Danny Glover just, uh, kills him in cold blood. You know, surrenders and everything. But he was gonna get away again, because he had his immunity. So, your immunity's revoked. It's pretty epic. Uh, but yeah, and it's got Joe Pesci, doing Joe Pesci things. Uh, I guess originally they wanted him to be a little more, like, um... Uh, I don't want to say... Like, uh, a... a a gay parody. They wanted him very, like, kind of effeminate, if you will. And Joe Pesci's like, yeah, I don't want to play it that way. So he played it real sleazy instead. And I, I think it worked out for the best. And then I apparently I did not notice the okay, okay, okay thing was all, like, he improved and they went with it. And I think he ended up saying it, like, 109 times or some shit like that. Says the words, okay. So, how many times? I think it was like a hundred and nine. Jesus Christ! Yeah, but that was all part of shtick, and it, it was it, it was used so endearing. Uh, and then yeah, he comes, and it's a great introduction to character. And then he comes back, and he's a detective. He tries his little detective business, which is adorable. Um, but yeah, and then I think if I'm right, Lethal Weapon Four was his last movie before he came back to do uh, uh what do you call it? I don't know. You're MacGyvering this one, not me. I'm not MacGyvering. I'm doing my best not to MacGyver it. I'm going <laughs> out of my way not to. Okay. Uh, 
What the hell? What was the one that he did with uh, the Irishman? Oh, no, he did. Okay, he had a cameo in The Good Shepherd. Okay. Yes, that was a good movie, actually. Yeah. Directed by Bob De Niro. And then, so, yeah, Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998. And then he didn't do another movie. He In 2006, he had a cameo in The Good Shepherd. 2010, he did some movie Love Ranch. No idea what that is. He put a rap album out. He did. Yes, and a Christmas album. Joe Pesci put a rap album out? He did. Dost thou not believe? I'm uh, pulled up. Oh, I, I'm, I don't not believe you. Uh, yeah, and then uh, really, it wasn't until uh, 2019 with The Irishman. I'm, I'm guessing like that Love Ranch is kind of, probably... <laughs> it's a bitch that it gets you. <laughs> it's a bitch that it gets you. Hey, hey, beat out my ass. Treat all my bras like trash. You'll catch a blast if you move too fast. I talk with class. You don't have to ask. Getting everything by flash and cash. Fighting and stealing. Don't kill without feeling. So I went in casinos before they start dealing. All about respect and intellect. Only mess with the women that pick up the check. <laughs> it really makes you lose respect for him. When... <laughs> this is Tommy fucking DeVito. Funny how? Funny how you put out a rap album, you douchebag. <laughs> uh, the song is called Wise Guys. Yeah. Wise Guy. Yeah. Wise Guy. Oh, jeez, Joe. But I thought he—I thought the whole reason that he stopped like acting in '98 after that was because he didn't want to like become that guy. <laughs> Maybe he did it right away. He's like, "Oh crap!" There you go. That was 1998. Yeesh. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for uh, Lethal Weapon Five. But still, I've I don't, seen I don't it. I've seen it already. I don't need to see it redone. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't. You can't beat two, as far as I know. All right, shows over, everybody, after Squeeze's first pick. We're at 50 minutes. Then you know what? This is usually 50 minutes is not. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, our first pick was Peter Pan. Our first pick was Peter Pan and and movies adjacent to 89. And then usually, like, my second pick, I'm like, oh, it's 50 minutes. Here's my second pick. But no, everybody, I'm upping the ante tonight. At 50 minutes in, here's my first pick. Meryl Streep is Mary Fisher, sensuous, seductive, irresistible, and about to confront the greatest challenge of her life. Roseanne Barr. Meryl Streep. Roseanne Barr. Which one Man, is the she-devil? Is that in a trailer? Meet this year's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at a theater near you. Yeah, they're, the trailer was trying to compare it to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the um, Steve Martin picture. But this was with this is Roseanne Barr's feature film debut, and she's starring opposite Meryl Streep. My mom loved this movie, and we had to watch it about 400 times growing up. But it wasn't bad. It was a good movie. Failed at the box office. Um, but it was generally a good uh, movie. 
Uh, you have Roseanne Barr's husband leaves her for this romance novel writer played by Meryl Street, and she gets revenge on both of them. That's the plot. Uh, now, I thought I'd read a bit of uh, Roger Ebert's three-star review of this. He said, wow. there, there must have been moments on the set of She Devil where Roseanne Barr went into her dressing room and locked the door and asked herself, what's she doing there? Co-starring in a movie with the immortal Meryl Street. In 89, she's immortal already. This is before she did um, Death Becomes Her, <laughs> which is immortal in my opinion. Wait, let me just... Death Becomes Her. I think that was 92. Yes. Fucking great movie. Another one my mom loved and watched about 410 times, Squeezer. He says, We're in on the amazement because Barr has done such a thorough job of documenting her life in comedy routines, in confessional interviews, in her books, and on talk shows. Here is a woman who only a few years ago couldn't have gotten an autograph from Meryl Street, let alone steal a scene from her. There's a delicious element of sweet revenge in Barr's entire career. Here is a woman who proves for all of us that we could be TV stars and stand-up comics if only we get a couple of breaks. Because, we sh because we've sure got more on the... <laughs> I can't read. It's my problem, everybody. Because we've sure got more on the ball than more the morons who are making in showbiz. And that sense of realized revenge is an undercurrent throughout She-Devil. Yes, because she's a romance novelist. With, which works both in fictional level and is a real-life demonstration that Barr and Streep are indeed right there in the same movie. So, um, I don't know what it was about this movie, but I we were big in the Rose. It was, after, it was It was filmed in the break of Roseanne. It came out in the middle of her second season, and there was something we watched as a family every fucking night. And Roseanne was like, see, growing up in the 80s was very different than growing up in the... In the 90s, I'd say, because in the 80s, most of the shows we watched portrayed a life that was very adjacent to ours. Whereas the fucking Connors lived in a shithole. And yeah. they, they constantly worried about money and they constantly had issues with, like, that were very similar to ours. And same with married with children, like, they weren't in a mansion. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Um, and then, like, the generation behind us got friends. <laughs> How can yeah, six that... people live in New York in those size apartments? They can't. No. And they don't they don't tackle any like real deep issues or 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 real problems that people face in society. They like will they won't they? Ross and Rachel. Yeah. I have a monkey. Like like It's <laughs> <laughs> about like, all I know about yeah, friends. Joey. What's that? It's all about all I know about friends. But, and like Joey, like it was always like a funny thing, like oh, I didn't get the acting gig. No yeah. big deal. Like he's well, like at no point is he starving to death. Right, I'm not gonna get kicked out of my lush apartment because you know I'm white, and next week there's a new episode. Yep, pretty much. Sorry to shit on him for being white, but. Well, I mean. Someone had to do every, it. You're taking on. Every, that's what you're gonna get canceled for. Sorry, I, I got fucking do the right thing coming up next, and it, I rewatched it, and it got me charged up. <laughs> oh, you think boy. Giancarlo Esposito is good in fucking Mandalorian? Man, goddamn, is he good in that movie? Um, yeah, but this movie was great. It was one of the first movies I ever you know saw of Meryl Streep, and I was like, damn. She was a piece of ace back then to say 
to be politically correct, Squeezer. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you hang on. <laughs> That's the way to say it. <laughs> yeah. And seven-year-old me definitely was interested. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. N- not so much Roseanne? Well, not, I mean, they really dolled her up with a giant mole on her face. <laughs> but um, it was kind of dr- got like a Captain Lou Albano thing going on in it. Yeah, she definitely does. It's really good, though. I'm not shitting on the movie at all. I actually enjoy it. I, like, we watch it a lot as kids, but um, Roger Ebert says, Barr's character is named Ruth. She's fat, plain, suburban housewife with a mole on her upper lip that looks like a surgically implanted raisin. <laughs> She's married none too securely to an accountant named Bob, Ed Bagley Jr., who dreams of moving up in the ranks of his profession by becoming an accountant to the stars. Fate grants his wish. He meets Mary Fisher during an incident involving a spilled drink at a charity benefit. One thing leads to another so rapidly that he cruelly drops off his wife at home before ending up in bed with the lustful novelist. At the heart of the movie involves the revenge that Ruth takes out on her husband and Mary Fisher, a revenge so thorough and methodical that she even takes time to jot down the areas of her husband's life she wants to destroy first. His home, his family, his career, and his freedom in that order. Bob has accused her of being a she-devil, which goes in line with the title of the picture. It's based on a book. Um, And she is more than willing to play the role. She will haunt the faithless bastard until his wishes he had never heard of accounting, much less Mary Fisher. Directed by Susan Seidelman. Squeezer, whose credits include Desperately Seeking Susan, The Underrated, Making Mr. Right, and The Recent Cookie. And um, this get my worst review ever. Nine thumbs up. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I this is a, I like this. This is a two thumbs up from from me and myself. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I want to say yes, but I don't know. He also if writes I... debut movies are trick traditionally tricky for TV stars. For every Pee Wee Herman who finds a perfect movie vehicle, there's a Henry Winkler who doesn't. Ooh. Barr could have easily made. It an easy, predictable, and dumb comedy at any point in the last couple of years. Instead, she took her chances with an ambitious project, a real movie. It pays off in that Barr demonstrates there is a core of reality inside her TV persona, a core of identifiable human feelings like jealousy and pride, and they provide a sound foundation for her comic acting. The proof of it is that, on the basis of this movie, Streep didn't have to retire to her own dressing room to ask herself what she's doing. In a movie with Barr. Ah, clever. That's good writing. Himself. Yeah, Roger Ebert is my favorite film critic. Usually, 99% of the time, I agree exactly with what he said. Yeah, pretty. Those kind of critics don't exist anymore because they just want to get fucking tweet relikes or something. Fucking yeah. morons. All right, here is your next pick, Handsome Squeeze. Nice. From Walt Disney Pictures. He's neurotic. My nerves are shot. She's rebellious. I'm not a child. But now her father, the king, put him in charge of her. I'll just the cramp to do it. I gotta go. I tried to stop her. While she's chasing her dreams, he's hanging on for dear life. This is a catastrophe. This is Walt Disney Pictures' The Little Mermaid. He does. You give them an inch, they swim all over you. Rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspapers for showtime. You owe this movie a lot, so bear with me. I what? You owe this movie a lot. I personally owe this movie a lot? Yeah. Why? 
Because without this, there is no Marvel Cinematic Universe. What, because this saved no... Disney? Yeah. Yeah, this, this literally, it got him out of... Well, listen, Marvel didn't, they, they had success with fucking, uh, they could have sold the Paramount, so... Could have. And who knows, maybe, he... uh, maybe it'd be better. Maybe, but we don't know, so we have to go with what we do know. Okay. And we do know that pretty much... So you can't just say it was only this. There is some building blocks to it. Um, uh, who from Roger Rabbit helped, but it was the animation. They, they were leaning away from uh, the animated stuff because uh, pretty much Black Cauldron was um, was very close to being the death nail. Um, and then Great Mouse Detective, they made, and it wasn't a, basically, like, it's, like, claim the fame is it wasn't an absolute disaster, and, uh, Black Hole. Um, and then Oliver and Company was, made a little bit of money. It was, it was mildly successful. And then, they're like, you know what, we have, we've been, apparently they've been working on Little Mermaid since, like, the Third, like it was one of their first um, properties outside of like Snow White that they were going to start developing and never got around to it. And so they're like, let's take a gamble. They start developing Little Mermaid. And the best thing they did, and I know you're going to hate this, was they made, they, so they hadn't done like a, a, a fairy tale movie since like the 50s. Mm-hmm. So after, like throughout the, the 60s and 70s and 80s, they were doing like, uh, I don't know. They did Robin Hood, which granted I love, uh, but like they did like Fox and the Hound stuff like that. It was no, they weren't doing like the princessy kind of thing anymore, and most of them weren't musicals. The smartest thing they did was go back to they looked at like Broadway plays, and they're like, let's make it a musical. And they brought in Alan Menken, who then went on to basically you know write songs for every disney movie that made a shit ton of money i don't think he did anything with frozen though um and they went with the the musical format and it was huge and it it adds a whole other element because now you're not just it permeates you know culture more because now you have all these songs out there and they're getting radio play they're getting in kids heads Everyone's, you know, singing the Little Mermaid songs, pro- except for you, probably. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it it helps. It pushes the film out there, and that's I I think that was the big thing. It's not even the fact that yeah, the animation is great, even the 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 penises and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's the songs, and once those songs get out there, and then they get stuck in your head, and they're catchy. I mean, look. Under the Sea is a damn good song. You gotta admit, it's fun, right? Okay, yeah. You don't you don't just walk around the house just you know singing Under the Sea. Not uh, generally, no. But that doesn't mean it's not a good song. Yeah, and it's, you go. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, problems aside with this one, like if you had to like rank all your uh, Disney princesses, like I would put Ariel. She's like second to last. Uh, just terrible role model, especially now that I got girls. Like, no, stay home with dad. Listen to me. Don't 
give up everything for a boy, you know? Right. Unless, well, if he's a prince. All right, maybe. All right, maybe she had a point. But, you know, she had an adventurous spirit, but other than that, she brings really nothing to the table because a lot of her own problems. Uh, Aurora from the Sleeping Beauty one, she's absolutely useless because she just, you know, falls asleep for the entire movie and does nothing. Yeah. Most of the others can hold their own one way or the other. One way. Like, I don't, that, what bothers me about that one, too, is like going, not even this movie, but like a movie that came out 30 years before this one. Like, look at Sleeping Beauty. They had to have the birthday party on her birthday. Why couldn't you wait till she turned 16, then have the birthday party the next day? Now you're in the clear. Well, yeah. To be fair about Disney, the sword and sorcery genre of the 80s, 70s and 80s was very, really huge, especially early 80s. They were just buying into it. Yeah. Like, But it didn't go well for disney but it went well for like other people sword and yeah. sorcery was a huge yeah. genre well maybe he-man <laughs> we're he-man yeah uh you get uh conan movies and there was yeah. a lot of it like well we said uh fucking excalibur yeah was excalibur is fucking huge that was i mean nothing movie. made more money than he-man at the time uh, master of the universe and that was big yeah. sword and sorcery but that they were just making like at the time they were making products of the the time, the seventies, late seventies and early eighties, and then they realized, oh, we're not making money on this, so they went uh, to Little Mermaid and made a fortune. Yeah, uh, and it basically is what kicked off the uh, the Disney Renaissance, which is responsible for making Disney what they like. Disney was Disney; they were big, and I went to Disney World once before that, and it was. But they weren't the 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 monstrosity that they are now, and they're the monstrosity that they are now because of that Renaissance, because of the Little Mermaid, then Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, and then fucking Lion King, which was just you know the highest grossing animated movie of all time until Frozen surpassed it. Um, and then then and they're also good movies; they really are. And, you know, there, there's, I mean, shit, I watched uh, Mulan in theaters. Basically because I got chased out of something about Mary and had to go back to the theater I bought a ticket for. But still, I sat in a the theater and watched it. Um, and you, we got Szechuan sauce because of that. So you can thank Little Mermaid for your Szechuan sauce, which honestly was not very good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, no, but I did get that and uh, honey sauce when I got chicken nuggets back when Mulan came out, and I remember not liking it back then and going with the honey sauce. I was big on the honey. Uh, barbecue and honey were my two favorites, and I figured I'd like Szechuan, but I did not back then, and I don't think they changed it. From what I remember, when we got it again after Rick and Morty, it tastes exactly like it did, and it was meh. <laughs> like a very sugary... Bland teriyaki. Not spicy at all. All right, here is my next pick. Do the right thing is astonishing, declares Newsweek. Trust me. Monkey, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. You laugh as you laughed when Lenny Bruce or Richard Pryor touched a raw nerve. Ah! 
It pulses with humor, movement, sexuality, and music, says Rolling Stone. Are you the man? Are you the man? No, you the man. Are you the man? Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up, and the New York Times calls it fabulous. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, rated R. Um, I love Do the Right Thing. It's part of, like, the... 80s and 90s independent film uh, boom, I would say. Squeezer, are you there? Mm-hmm. And um, John Pearson wrapped this movie. John Pearson wrote the book famously, Spike, Mike, Slackers, and Dykes. Uh, he got uh, Spike Lee's movie he made. He made Michael Moore's. Roger and me a deal. He uh, made the slackers deal with um, uh, what's his name? Who did tasting of you squeezer? Richard Mort, uh, Richard Linklater, Richard Linklater. Yeah. Okay. Um, he did slackers with David, uh, Richard Linklater and uh, Dykes. I think it was Gwen Turner. He did her movie. Uh, he famously did clerks. He famously, um, brought clerks after at the Sundance after he was like, I'm going to retire. Uh, yes, Go Fish. It was the Gwen Turner movie, Go Fish. That's was the dykes he's referring to in the, that title. Uh, he was a, a producer's rep and um, like he'd get your movie from a festival to a studio and, and, and money. And he got Spike Lee. And sure, Spike Lee, I didn't like, I haven't liked all his things. And sometimes I think he's really stupid, but White Klansman, was a really good movie. I think that was one of his last movies. I know he's done others, but this movie is fucking great. Um, Spike Lee himself is in it as Mookie. Uh, it's the premiere of Martin Lawrence, feature film debut of Martin Lawrence or Rosie Perez. Um, and it's takes place in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy. And um, it's kind of the racial tension between Italian Americans who own a pizzeria and live in Bensonhurst and the African American majority who lived in Bedsty. And um it really puts up like a juxtaposition between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh the different views about violence and uh peace, I guess. And um that's also really funny. And as a kid, I thought I was really cool for watching this movie. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and I wanted Radio Raheem's big-ass boombox. <laughs> but, you know, I had a teensy little boombox. Um, first time I heard the phrase guinea, I <laughs> didn't really know what it meant. <laughs> Did you then go over and ask? I mean, we weren't really like in an Italian era. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even know what Guinea means. Is where Guinea comes from. I just know it's some kind of derogatory term for Italian. Just like Mick is for Irish or paddy wagon. Yeah. yeah. Um, where does that come from? You find that out. I'm working on it. But. Uh, I think like one of the coolest things about 
do the right thing was the set design. Uh, and I remember like the, the sites in Brooklyn were really bright and everything looked really good. And, um, I don't know. Spike Lee would always his movies initially when he came out, like, and she's got to have it. He always did like a really good job of uh, setting the scene, and uh, mise en scene is the film technique, and shooting in bedside, but like telling a story through one frame, and that's a lot of that's done in really good set design, which you can appreciate, Squeezer. Yes. Yeah. Um. And the heat, the heat of the summer in bed was a big, uh, probably like a big character in the, of the city, the, the being oppressive. And that was 1989. <laughs> um, it was mainly a colloquialism. And it was the stifling and repressive in the colloquial sense, Squeezer. The heat. What is going on? Oh. <laughs> I can tell you weren't listening to me and Don. <laughs> um. Uh. Time. Okay, it is. Uh. It is definitely. Uh. So. How do I phrase it? So it's meant to be derogatory towards uh darker skinned Italians, and would you believe it? It's the uh, equivalent of like calling them black because you know Italians are white we're all just going to flat out say it Italians are all racist so the most <laughs> offensive thing that an Italian can say to another Italian person is uh, you have African heritage mm-hmm. and so I guess uh, uh, that's where Guinea what does it mean yeah uh, it comes from uh, Guinea Negro, originally referred to anyone of uh, black or mixed ancestry from the 1740s. And by the 1890s, it was used for Southern Italians and Sicilians. Right, because they yeah. used it in Sopranos a lot. They also used Moulinian, which I looked up is a derogatory term for black people because it's the word for eggplant. Ah, yeah, the, uh, man, they are. I mean, you learn soft from Sopranos. Th- this is why you can't, why you, no one that's Italian can be offended by anything, because you're the most offensive people out there. Just saying that. <laughs> but, the, but the me, it's a Mario. Why All right, you yeah, got the right, so, <laughs> Those Japanese are the worst. Hell, probably. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. This is gonna be the show, huh? <laughs> yeah. Alright, here is your next picture. How's a guy like you end up above? Just lucky, I guess. Dalton's an unusual guy, and he's got an unusual job. His reputation is impressive. I run the show completely. And his demands are simple. Be nice. Until it's time to not be nice. Patrick Swayze. You always carry your medical records around with you? Saves time. Roadhouse, rated R. Now playing at theaters everywhere. Roadhouse, rated R. Oh, this movie's so fucking ridiculous. It's great. What's um, more ridiculous, Swayze? 
Roadhouse or Point Break? Um, I'm going to go with Roadhouse just because of the way it takes itself so seriously. Okay. Um, the, 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 the ecosystem that it builds, like the, the, this world of the bouncer where it's like a thing. It's like a, a it's no like bouncers in this world are like professional athletes in our world. Like they're just they're known commodity. Like oh, that's him. He's the best bouncer. Like there there is a uh like a lineage and a world that you go to, or like the the superheroes in like a, a Marvel universe. You know, it's like oh wow, there's Captain America. Oh no, man, that's Dalton. You know. Who in in the Roadhouse world, Dalton would kick the living shit out of Captain America, um, or he would just kind of cool him down a bit, and then Captain America would swing with the shield. Dalton would kick his knee out and then rip his throat out, and that'd be the mm, end of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it uh, he's got he takes a job at the Double Deuce to turn it around, and uh, he does Double quite- Deuce. Quickly, that's, t- and that's a 10 a.m. for I, I you. I love. What's that? That's that's what you call 10 a.m. <laughs> uh, well, today it was. <laughs> Stop the sheets. Um, but uh, it's great because it starts off with like it's this dive bar, a huge dive bar, and there's like it makes sense because it's got like that blues kind of like country vibe to it. They're playing in a cage. Um, uh, Jeff Healy, uh, actual blues musician. He's a blind guitar player for really played with like Steve Ray Vaughan and all those guys. Uh, he makes his movie debut as Cody, who happens to be friends with Dalton. Um, and so it's like this, it makes sense. But by the time they turn it around and it looks like uh, Studio 54, like all modernized and all that stuff. And there's like people dancing. It's like it's got that nightclub scene thing going on. But they're still playing like Roadhouse Blues. It's very odd. They're like, "All right, it's a nightclub. Everyone dance," and then there's like the music the band is playing is just like blues music. That's the that's the other great thing about this world. I want to live in this world where it's just everyone lives to go to the bar and dance like it's a pop song to blues songs and just badass bouncers kicking ass from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 there's, uh, there's a shark jump moment. Like if the movie, I want the movie, it's like the first two thirds of it where it's just them doing bouncer things. Like if they're going to make a roadhouse series, like you could just live out, like do exactly like they're doing like, uh, the Mandalorian and just have the Dalton character or someone, uh, a spinoff of the character and just, like like the Incredible Hulk, and just instead of town to town, it's bar to bar, solving the bar's problems. I guess they kind of do that in like Food Network, but mm. without breaking knees and ripping out throats. I think that's called uh, uh, Bar Rescue, and it's yeah, on Bar Paramount, Rescue, Paramount Network, Squeezer. Okay, sorry. So, but they need to. Yeah, that's what Bar Rescue needs uh. is more throat ripping. Okay, throat ripping. Yeah, hmm, I yeah. Can see it. Um, there's, uh, some brutal murders. Brutal murders. Um, yeah. Uh, and, 
Fat guys getting crushed by polar bears. Fat guys getting crushed by polar bears. Yeah, and it's all, it's all, it's got some comedic value. And the mo- I love it too because the movie ends when they're like, you know, there's a dead guy blasted away with four shotgun blasts. And you're like, did you see anything? And he's like, I was under the polar bear. And everyone kind of like chuckles and laughs. And you're waiting for like that 90s sitcom <laughs> clap on like the freeze frame. And then it goes to credits. Like, it's so absurd. But it's Roadhouse. It's supposed to be absurd. Um, and, yeah, just Patrick Swayze is just so awesome. Um, it's got some good gratuitous boobies for no reason. Yeah, you gotta um, have those. Plenty of violence. Gotta have uh, that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fucking... It's so, it's so, it, I won't say it's so bad that it's good. It is just, it's good. Um, he says it's good, everybody. He says it's, it's good. good. That's, you know, I, I don't care what the, and, and it's got Sam Elliott too. He's like the legend. That's a good Shasparilla. Yeah. But he's like a young, even young Sam Elliott looks, like, how was he old? How old was he in this one? So he was 44. To 94, he'd be 50. So he was like in his late 40s when he did this. Right. Uh, but yeah, he was so just really badass in it. And just watching, I mean, it, it didn't work out in the end because, you know, cancer. But like, it, it's weird watching like your like pretty boys smoke. Oh, well, yeah, back watching, then. Watching Patrick Swayze smoke a cigarette. It's just oh. And then, like, at the bar is one thing, but when they're, like, when he goes out on a date and they're in the diner and he's wearing his, like, sport coat, just just sitting there drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette. All them pretty boys smoke back in the day, Squeezer. Yeah. The cool yeah. kids still do it. I don't know. All now the- they, now you got to jump through hoops just to make your you know, lead do it. Um, no, I mean, yeah. unless you're doing like a, a, a period piece where Jim yeah. Hopper could smoke tons of butts and make it look really cool. Yeah. Smoking's cool, kids. Smoking is, let's go start. Yeah. Joe Camel yeah. says, smoke. You want to look cool? And know, know what else is cool? Yeah. Speaking of Joe Camel, if you smoke, get make sure you get the right brand where you can like get free stuff. Yeah. So you can get free sleeping bag. Oh, I and, thought you were going to say get filterless. Oh yeah, go filterless too. Yeah, you don't want to be like, what do you? Yeah, don't want to be a pussy. Yeah, smoke a yeah, filter. Be a pussy, be a be a cowboy, be a real man. Here, smoke cigarettes is speaking of real man. Here's my next pick. Who's this guy? Batman. Wait till they get a load of me. Only one will claim the night. Rated PG-13. June 23rd. Awful commercial, but <laughs> such a great movie. This was Batman 89, and we've talked nauseam with that, but we couldn't do... We, we left Ghostbusters 2 off this list, and I was either torn between Batman or Ghostbusters 2, and I was like... You know what? Let me find something about Batman 89 I could talk about that we haven't talked about before. And I found about okay. why they made the logo the way they did. It was designed by Anton First. 
Um, oh, really? Yeah, the, the so like that, everything was everything the Batmobile. Was, I mean, he and... he won an Oscar for that picture. So. Yeah. Um, so that that gold logo with the the shine points and the tips were all designed by Anton first. Um, so where did I have this? Uh, okay, so the dualistic approach is illustrated in the 1989 version of the Batman logo. This is from a Game Rant uh, article by uh, Samantha Andrew Jar. And she writes, um, first would take the logo that everyone knew and loved and upgrade it for a new generation. Let's upgrade it for a new generation. <laughs> Responsible the f- for the film's noir-like landscape and iconic Batmobile, the logo would be revealed on posters with nothing but the date of its release on top of a sophisticated black backdrop. The image would be met with mixed rea- reactions resembling a monstrous mouth with teeth or a cave. Whatever the design was, it caught people's attention. Uh, first, Anton First would take the 1939 version of the logo, further defining its old look from its flat, less animated design against a bright yellow backdrop. It would extend its narrative with a bold, edgy bat shape set against a shiny bronze. <sighs> Anton First would add little elements of shine, giving the logo a bit of opulence and depth. The black and bronze were not only a symbol of evolution, but also an extensive sh- extension of the character. It was dark, sharp, and classy. When devoted fans felt overwhelming anxiety towards the project, Anton first reassured them the comic book material was in the right hands with just one logo. And he did. That logo was everywhere, and it looked fucking badass. Uh, and I didn't even realize Anton first designed it until I read this article today. Yeah, I know. I knew, you know... I knew he did the Batmobile and the Batmobile, fucking city I mean, of Gotham. That's, it's the name of it. Right. Well, everyone calls it the Anton First Batmobile. Yeah. While much of the anticipation and excitement can be credited to the poster campaign that triggered most of the film's success, the renowned design was still in production when the costumes were in their final stage of completion. That's why the, the logo on his chest looks a little different. Um... During the final post-production phase, first design can only be added by the form of a bat signal projection to retain the lasting impact and continuity the artist created with the poster campaign. Because if you look at his uh, his uh, chest piece, mm-hmm. it, it, it looks kind of similar, but it's wider and it's got two more prongs coming out of its butthole. <laughs> um, and it's more yellow and not bronze. And I like how they went white with the second movie to give it a, a totally different look. Yeah. Oh, and the actual characters. And... The actual what? What did you just say? Oh, hang on. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at the. Don't read the same article I'm reading. No, no. I'm looking at picture. I'm I'm comparing the logo on his. Look at the logo on his chest plate. Looking at that, yeah. See at the bottom, there's two extra prongs coming out of the butt. Yeah. That like aren't little bat legs. Little bat legs, like you could kind of waddle, do like a like a turtle walk on that. Yeah, and it's more, it's wider too. Yeah, and uh, like nice. the wings are are like more curved up and wide. There's a wider U um, between the head and the wings. I never kn- this and head center. Yeah, I never knew this. Never before. noticed yeah. this. Um, while uh, so. Eventually, in Batman Returns, first designs would be added to the costume design, and his take on Gotham City would further inspire other interpretations in the Batman universe, such as the animated series. 
and would dive further down into the reboot of the main DC comic, showing that first creative Anton first creative vision has fostered a lasting impact within the franchise. While Anton first sadly would never get to see the fruits of his later blossom into what has become today. His art has lived on throughout the makeup of Batman's identity over the years. And I would say so. Yeah. Um, such evocation, uh, a resonance of Anton first inspiration can be seen in the poster artwork from movies like Dick Tracy to Jurassic Park. That's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a little something. Uh, I uh, thought was a neat little tidbit of Batman 89. Yeah, I that I shit everyone reviewed it because we just learned something today yeah you did this I br- is a whole this is a whole new show i went in squeezer and did my squeezer research like a squid squeezer's disciple because hmm. you always you do your research and i just come in usually hot normally well you are and well you're a sweet boy and i was like you know what i want to find something about batman i didn't know that i could share with everybody and i found that and i was like oh god nice so there it is. Here is your fourth pick. We're getting through these. On Wednesday, May 24th, Paramount Pictures invites you to have the adventure of your life. Dad! Fuck! Dad! Fuck! Keeping up with the Joneses. Are you crazy? You don't go between them! Harrison Ford, Sean Connery. You call this archaeology? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, May 24th, at theaters everywhere. This movie's the best. This came out at just the right time too. As a kid, like you wanted to be Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, it was. Guy, it was, it was, it was so cool, and like. I named you after the, I named the dog Indy. You're Henry yeah, you Junior. And it's the first time too. You actually like get some backstory on it. The opening sequence with River Phoenix is just awesome. Find out why I hate uh, snakes. Yeah. And he get he gets the the whip and everything, but you know yeah. it doesn't go according to plan. Um, you mean River Phoenix dying <laughs> or killing himself? Oh uh, yeah, that was bummer. Bad joke, but yeah, it had to be. Wow, it just. This is gonna be the last show. So, all you did save it with some nice knowledge. That was fun. And knowing is uh, half the battle. G.I. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I and two is like it was one of my earliest memories of seeing a movie in a theater. Um, like before that, like I know I saw this in theater. I'm pretty sure it was the Roxy, because that's the only place we ever went. Um. But yeah, and then of course I had to make sure I had I had it on I got a copy from my grandfather that I dubbed over because you know he was always bootlegging stuff yeah. even back then, um, so I had it on the beta and burn this tape out, watch this movie constantly, and it was just uh, it was fun like you like did you like I know I did when I was like you know Ghostbusters I'd go and like recreate it too, but then you're doing like it was like. Uh, a reason it gave you like a plot to do like Ninja Warrior in your backyard. You know, did you have your did you have your whip? Nope. Oh, okay. I, Listen, I, 
I like this movie, but I was outside playing Batman. <laughs> no, I was. Oh, you were outside playing Batman. I was outside playing Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had. I had the. Um, I took the. Um, uh, a jump rope, you know, and yeah, you know, that was my whip, of course. Yeah, and then you like you try to like, <laughs> you, like throw it onto something and it snaps on, and then you go to swing and you realize uh, how hard it is to like hold on to something and swing. Uh, and plus, you can't really just swing because it just you know you hit the ground. Um, but yeah, I I thought I was gonna be Indiana Jones, and I I wanted to be a archaeologist too. Like I thought this was archaeology. Like it's so cool, just sitting behind a desk and writing. Apparently, you gotta write books and stuff. <clears throat> um, yeah, uh. It, it, the motorcycle chase scene is awesome. The, the the tank fight scene is awesome, uh, and it adds just that right amount of humor <coughs> and Hitler. Uh, kind of, it just blends it so nicely. You yeah. know, like gotta uh, yeah. Andy's got to fight the Nazis. He's got to always got to fight the Nazis. Which is, uh, I, I was a little concerned about. Uh, with the upcoming one, but according to Trump, there's going to be plenty of Nazis in it. Plenty of Nazis. So, Dial of Destiny. Yeah. yeah, so it's... yeah. Pl- apparently, they want to bring back the Nazis. Now, now you got the whole, like, plot is laid out for you. Right, he's trying... Which is they're, all you need. they're trying to time travel to bring back Hitler in the Third Reich, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah it appears to... It appears uh, in the trailer. Yeah, it appears uh, to be the plan. And then, yeah, you got, uh, you know, cool... Uh, you got... Oh! It ties into the sword and sorcery thing too, because you got like you know knights templar in it and everything. Oh yeah, the uh, knight yeah. with the cup. Yeah, ghost knights. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, and you you get your cup. You he chose the carpenter's cup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely love it. It's, it's uh, it, is it easy to say like there's no argument, right? It's the best of all the indie movies. Yes. Uh yeah. Uh, hmm. Raiders is good, but yeah. Raiders is good. And it's Raiders got so many great. memorable I moments. Raiders, but but yeah, Indian it's Last Crusade. And I would argue I, I don't know how the good this next one's gonna be. I hope it's great. I really do. Uh the fourth one we, we all admit is hot trash, right? Unwatchable. Unwa- uh, completely unwatchable. Like should never they if if the movie wants to has to continue to exist fine exist but don't call it indiana jones yes like just put a different name on it and wipe it from the registry a lot of people think of that temple of doom but i still like it even though it's a prequel to raiders yeah it look it's temple of doom yeah it was the problem with what saved temple of doom from being considered a bad indiana jones movie is crystal skull True. Crystal Skull is basically the best thing that ever happened to Temple of Doom. And Temple of Doom is fun, and it's a little silly. Especially and... when he rips that guy's heart out. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And short, I found and that. that was, I was Come on, Short Round has a comeback. He's uh, He won an Oscar this year. Oh, really? That was him? Yeah, No Time for Love, Dr. Jones. Yeah, he was wow. in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh. Okay. He's also Data in Goonies. He quit acting, um, and then he came back to it for everything, everywhere, all at once, and won an Oscar. Damn. Hmm. 
I might have the timeline a little fucked up, but yeah. <laughs> oh, this is just like Joe Pesci. Just like Joe Pesci. All right, uh, um, yeah. let's move on. Uh, did I have anything else to say? I don't. I don't have any fun. Uh, indie logo was created by you know, whatever. But oh, going back to why it should have ended though. <laughs> it, my favorite moment, like one of my favorite shots in like uh, in cinema, and like the end of this movie. Oh, he's talking cinema. Like, but like no, just like. I I love I love a good music cue <laughs> and a good riding off to the sunset. Like the best things in wrestling is when the music hit and the guy walks out. Like that's the everything else before and after doesn't matter. Yeah, but Hogan the match doesn't have spouse. to happen. Just boom, music. Okay, get to your end point. Pop. What I'm saying, the end of the movie, the riding off in the sunset was just so perfect. Okay. And I, I don't. I'm not gonna say like it undid it. But like head cannon, you can easily just you end it there. Well, and we'll see Dial Destiny. We we've got Crystal Skull, and everyone just wiped it from their memory, and they only yeah. count the three movies. Yeah, so maybe it'll maybe it'll it'll work. It's just uh, the oh god, it just ends so beautifully. All right, um, here's my next pick for 1989 movies, and this is one of my favorites. A long line of great detectives has come to an end. Oh, Who is that? Harry Crumb. Master of disguise. I am the Jules Delioche. Could you spell that? I don't think so. Try it with a D. <laughs> Mind like a steel trap. God's gift to women. John Candy. Who's Harry Crumb? Looks like this one. Can get a little rough. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday at a theater near you. So I've talked about who's Harry Crumb before, but I've amassed uh, some stuff you might not know about who's Harry Crumb. Ooh, is it a logo? No logos. It was directed by um, uh, Paul Flat Flaherty Flaherty, who's the brother of. Uh, well, they both were John Flaherty, who's in the movie, who plays the guy who he runs into. John Flaherty's the dad. From Freaks and Geeks, and he's also um, uh, what is John Flaherty also in? If you look him up, you know exactly what I'm talking. I'm sorry, Joe Flat, Joe Flaher- Flaherty, but he's the dad from Freaks and Geeks as well. Uh, Western Union Man and Back to Oh, the jeering fan from Back Happy Gilmore, who is like, "Hey, Happy, you sucker," or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then he runs him over with the Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah, that's Joe Flaherty. And his brother directed this movie. And they're all from Second City, SCTV. So that was something I did not know, that his brother directed it. But every time I see Joe Flaherty, I know him from Who's Harry Crumb. So there he goes. Uh, John Candy wanted John Larroquette for the role of Elliot Drazen. uh, But he couldn't get out of it for um, Night Court. So John Hughes suggested Jeffrey Jones because Jones was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, and Candy didn't want it to seem like a John Hughes film, so he was hesitant at first. But um, even though Hughes wasn't involved in this picture, but Candy, uh, John Candy agreed that he was right for the role and was cast. And he is. Uh, this is f- uh, four movies in 1989 John Candy released. Uncle Buck, which is great. Speed Zone, which I never saw. And The Rocket Boy, which I never saw. Speed Zone. Speed Zone is a 1989 
Despite the police's preemptive strike, the illegal coast-to-coast car race is still on with new drivers. It seems like a gumball rally thing. Yeah, don't know any of those movies. John Candy said he felt TriStar Pictures' poor marketing of the film was the reason for its box office failure. Oh, it's it's a Cannonball Run. Yeah, Gumball Rally. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Cannonball Run's a Gumball Rally. We race across the country in different wacky cars. Yeah, no, but it's actually Cannonball Run. But it's called Speed Zone. Yeah, but it's can- It's basically Cannonball Run 3. Right, but Cannonball Run is Gumball Rally. It's the same thing. It's what we're, we're, yeah. we're saying the same exact thing. Yes. <laughs> John Candy said he never felt... He felt TriStar Pictures' poor marketing of the film was the reason for its box office failure. As a result, he never worked with the studio again. They did release Wagons East, but just released it. That was the last movie he did before he died. Yeah. Um, It's the third movie in the 80s with the song Holding Out for a Hero, which we talked about last time. First movie's Footloose. The second movie is a beautiful picture called Short Circuit 2. Ah, 1988. Um, At the end. And this, this, when he's going after the kidnappers, the end. The reason why I love that song as a kid, obviously the cans of Coke are all in the movie because it's TriStar, which is owned by Columbia. Same reason Ghostbusters had Coke cans. Um, Valerie Broomfield later co-starred with John Candy in Nothing But Trouble, where she also played a cop. We've talked about that piece of shit a lot Oh yeah, but with love. With love. A number of um, Second City TV, Canada Second City TV people made appearances in this movie. Um so at the end of the movie, Harry Crumb, uh, dressed in drag for an undercover assignment, um, he donned the similar outfit in Armed and Dangerous, the movie. Uh, his car was a 1973 Cadillac Fleetwood Eldorado. Um, the ransom for the movie is $10 million. Uh, that would be adjusted for inflation around $21 million in 2023, Squeezer. Although the film is set in Los Angeles, it was filmed in Vancouver. Palm trees were imported for some shots. According to the American Film Institute, in 1988 was the wettest Vancouver spring in the century. Outdoor locations were delayed and even interior shots were adversely effective. The city skyline needed to be visible through a window in Harry's office. After hours of balancing indoor and outdoor light, clouds would float in and ruin a shot. Director of photography Stephen Katz solved the problem by placing crewmen with walkie-talkies on the roof to alert him to approaching clouds. That's why you just do a plate. Yeah, right. Uh, when Harry is dressed up as an air conditioning repairman, something that you couldn't get away with because he talks like an Indian accent. <laughs> oh, is... I thought you meant because no one has an air, air conditioning repairman anymore. No, but like this movie and the 1988 Short Circuit 2, which also featured holding out for a hero, had two white guys portraying Indian guys that you just can't get away with in 2023. Um. The name Flaherty's on the list, and Joe's in the movie. He's the guy who's the doorman of the hotel, and Paul is the director. I love this movie. He's like, I got a black boot and a keto. It's the boots to match. One of my favorite jokes in the movie is um, they have the ransom money, and Harry wants to count it, and there's this like, kind of like, tomboyish cop who doesn't want Harry Crumb, a PI involved, but the family hires him and they have the ransom money and Harry pulls out and goes, 
all there. All there. He's flicking through it. And he gets to the final pile and he goes, one short. She goes, oh, come on. Like, are we literally listening to this fat asshole? And he throws it at her and goes, count it, butch. And she counted it and it's one off. And I just thought that was just a fucking. <laughs> and um, Annie Potts as Helen Dowling is very, very hot in this movie. Like Ghostbuster 2 hot? Ghostbuster 2 hot, yeah. Yeah. Um, really good movie. If you have not seen it, I suggest giving it a watch because it's very watchable and very fucking funny. Uh, John Candy is hysterical. Oh, look at that hair. And it came out February 3rd, 1989. <laughs> oh, God. Gonna... When he plays the old jockey. Fucking great. All right. Here is Squeezer. Last pick. No way. We're there. Only an hour and 40 minutes in. Oh, sorry, folks. Tired of school. Who was Joan of Arc? Noah's wife. Like to travel. <laughs> can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Let's reach out and touch someone. Meet interesting people. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron meat. Uh, so how the, the movie is much like its main characters like they're dumb and mildly obnoxious and nonsensical but just so lovable and like they were originally intended to be like dorks that like the outcast at school that no one liked, but like by the time they were cast, like they had to reinvent it. Like they couldn't, it wasn't gonna work because they were actually too likable and too personable of characters to like play those roles. They're like, oh, okay, they'll still be like, you know. They're not necessarily Beavis and Butthead, but they're not the nerds. They're 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 dumb, but they're smart, and they're terrible at music. And but they do get better, as Rufus would tell us. Mm. Um, and I mean, I like my history, and I I mean, this is what I learned everything from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, but uh. So originally, and also in the script, uh, initially, uh, Napoleon's character uh, was Hitler. And I guess the studios had some notes. I guess it was a little too soon uh, mm. to, for, you know, to have Hitler running around a bowling alley. Napoleon's uh, conquering wasn't. Yeah, Napoleon's right. Genghis Khan, <laughs> who killed tenfold, <laughs> is right. responsible for more deaths in all of history. Take Napoleon, Hitler, everyone combined. Genghis Khan killed more people. Um, but, you know, he's cool because he does his cool little uh, thing with the... Uh, oh, what's that blade thing on the... Like a pole axe kind of thing. But uh, And then, of course, too, like they become besties with Billy the Kid. Who has, you know, apparently responsible for 20 plus, you know, murders. But, you know, it's uh, it's comedy. You know, uh, they're tasked with traveling back in time. Uh, they use a, a phone booth. Originally, it was a, um, I think it was a, a van, 
but it's like the DeLorean. This is after Back to the Future. Yeah. They're like, uh, we can't have another time traveling vehicle. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, let's do a, a magic phone booth that travels. And then they're like, oh, you guys just ripped off Doctor Who. And everyone involved with the film is like, what's Doctor Who? <laughs> like, they've never, no one's ever seen it. They had no idea what a TARDIS was. Um, for me, it's just to, to make a fat joke for someone that used to work with us. Hmm? Um, hmm? What? Uh, uh, brother, Timothy, wore, uh, he had a, I think it was a beanie that was like a TARDIS. Like, it was like, made to look like an old British phone booth and it said TARDIS on it. And I said something along the lines of that's the only way that uh, he could that hat could fit him if it had if it was infinitely big inside. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was. It was. I was the only one that got it. But it was. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. So they travel back in time, collect all of these historical figures because they have to pass history so they could form their band because their music would go on to be, um, the whole purpose of society in like 6,000 years. And it, it, the absurdity of it is what makes it work. Like if, if this movie tried to take itself seriously, it would be just dumb, but it doesn't like it. And not in the sense that they like it, it, they treated it dumb. Like they put the work in and it's fucking great. But, and also the chemistry, uh, between, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves and Alex winter, it's just like you would believe that they're best friends, which they became. So like Keanu Reeves got cast first and then Alex Winter was one of like 20. So bills that were still left. He was there early. Him and Keanu Reeves start shooting the shit. They're both in all the same stuff. And I guess that kind of, I don't know if like then Keanu, like when it came time for like testing with him, like he, made things work out better for Alex Winter, but it did, and then he was cast, and, you know. Um, yeah, you could tell, like, they, they have that relationship. Right. Uh, yeah, and, like, they, that chemistry works. And then, yeah, and... My always thought, my thought then at the end was, like, you know what happens to these people? Like, do you send them back to their times? Because if, if they, like, were to open up a book and Billy the Kid's like, oh... Pack air, it's gonna shoot me in a month. Or like, uh, Socrates is gonna be drinking hemlock. Like they're all gonna, like they're gonna. Socrates? Abraham Lincoln is gonna get shot. Like they're all gonna die these awful deaths. Or not, not to speak any of uh, Joan of Arc, who will be burned to death. So. You mean Socrates? You said Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. It's Socrates. Is it? Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, I have, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Okay, they call yeah, so they, call them, they call them Socrates. Oh. We yeah. were going to rewatch it during COVID, and we both fell asleep because we were drinking. Oh. oh. I thought you meant on the show. No, 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 no. Uh, remember we were doing the Sunday night movies? Oh, yeah. Well, we were going to, because three came out. Yeah. During COVID. That's right, it was during COVID. I still haven't seen it yet. Yeah, neither, because we were going to watch one and two and then watch three, and we never got around to any of it. And I've seen, I saw one and two when I was a kid, but I didn't really like them as much as a kid. Like, I don't uh, look fondly on those movies like everyone else does. Oh, I, I, I enjoy them. Like, t- don't try to teach me something when I see a movie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe it teaches you all the wrong things. Oh, yeah, so great. Yeah, so great. It's like, wait, Socrates? Uh, 
They call them Socrates. They do. Yeah, they call them Socrates. Yeah. You're a clever boy. Thanks. Um, I, I know Socrates. Yeah, I was gonna say, how does Squeezer not know who fucking Socrates <laughs> is? He like knows fucking Roman and Greek mythology better than. Or history, I'm, I'm sorry, not mythology. History, that's history. I, I, I do enjoy the mythology, too. It's, yeah. it's the history of the mythology. Is... Better. Well, the mythology led to the history. So Yeah. And I can't, and like, in like, and in 2,000 years from now, like, Lord of the Rings and Marvel movies are going to be, like, our mythology. Mm. Well, uh, let's move on to my last motion picture from 1980. I'm sorry, 1989. We'd love for you to come to spring training for a shot at this year's club. Not sure I can make it by then. It's Wild Thing Vaughn's first season on the outside. Lee, you've been playing in California penal. And he's still a little wild. Just a bit outside. These <laughs> things make me look ridiculous. Seeing's the most important thing, son. I don't think it's that important. Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen. Major League. Rated R. Starts Friday, April 7th at theaters everywhere. So we've talked Major League, Major League Two on this movie before. So I dug up things you didn't know. That that was Dave. Can you get my theme going with this? I, I get it. I I didn't know that Tom Berenger had top billing. Oh fuck yeah, he did. So the Major League was shot in Mil. And again, first time I knew this was shot in Milwaukee as opposed to Cleveland. I guess that's why they got Bob Euchre to be uh, Harry <laughs> oh, yeah, Doyle. That's true. Um, I guess because. Uh, the Browns and the Indians shared a ballpark, Cleveland Stadium. Oh, okay. That the lines sense. on the field didn't work, and there was a union thing, so they shot in um, Milwaukee. Uh, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. Yeah, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, the Major League cast went through a version of spring training to prepare for the movie. In order to look like an actual MLB team, the Major League cast was put through a rigorous training camp that was essentially a version of spring training um, with help of former Los Angeles Dodger catcher and World Series co-MVP Steve Yeager, who came in as a technical advisor to the movie. Um, he said he was impressed by the team. And he, uh, uh, he was a stand-in for Tom Berenger's catcher, Jake Taylor, when the scenes called to him for more accurate throws from first to second. To thirst and second, I'm sorry. Um, Charlie Sheen's fastball got up to uh, 85 miles an hour, but he took steroids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, a few members of Major League's cast had history with baseball, but none so much as Charlie Sheen. Sheen revealed in Sports Illustrated's 2011 oral history that before following his father's footsteps, he was a decent enough baseball player, which made preparing for the role of California Penal League stand out in Cleveland Indians' rookie sensation, Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn a lot easier. And while his history helped him get him in the fastball to respectable speed, he had some assistance from the effects of steroids he was taking. I didn't like the haircut because it generated so many comments and bars. I got enough of that already. And that's to the mix, and it's a recipe for a fist fight. I was already bitchy because, let's just say I was enhancing my performance a little bit. It was the only time I ever did steroids. I did them for like six or eight weeks. You can print this. I don't give a fuck. My fastball wants a 79 to like 85. <laughs> <laughs> they also moved home plate up 10 feet to make it appear it was going faster during filming. Ah, clever. Yeah. Unlike you who wanted to move it back a foot. Fuck him. For what's his name from Boston. Yeah. Uh, Move your seat back. 
Willie Mays Hayes was always in slow motion because of Wesley Snipes wasn't very fast. Willie Mays Hayes might have hit like Mays, but he only ran like Hayes because of Wesley Snipes' running scenes were shot in slow motion, uh, which sped them up. During Sports Illustrated's Major League Oral History, director David S. Ward revealed that while Snipes actually made the great grab that had him go over the outfield wall in the movie, all of his running shots were slowed down not to capture his speed, but to make it appear as if it was a speed demon because the actor was not very fast. Director David S. Ward made the actors play catch as part of the casting process. The Major League cast had some wild nights out in uh, filming in Milwaukee. I well, mean, if you're going to play a baseball player, you got to go drink at night. So. Charlie Sheen pointed out James Gammon, who played Lou Brown, great Lou Brown, mm-hmm. who was coaching the Toledo Mud Hens before he got the job in Indiana, uh, uh, in Cleveland. James Gammon, you want to talk about an absolute fucking warlock? The guy shows up one one morning and he's so hungover that he has a bar still attached to his head. <laughs> I've never seen a man in this much pain trying to make a cup of coffee. He was an awesome dude. <laughs> um, Major League was able to use the Yankees as the bad guys, partially because the team's then owner was from Cleveland. You can't have a good underdog story without the team going up against one of the strongest franchises in the history of professional sports. So it only seemed fitting to have the Cleveland Indians take on the New York Yankees in Major League. There was only one problem. The film's producer had to get clearance from both MLB and the owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner. When speaking with ESPN.com in 2016, David S. Ward revealed that he didn't get approval from the Yankees owner right away, but eventually got the go-ahead, and he believes partially because Steinbrenner happened to be from Cleveland. I did not know that. Oh, what would you believe? Uh, James Gammon died of liver cancer. Oh, fucking a! What a warlock. Mister Baseball, Bob Euchre, largely ad-libbed his iconic dialogue in Major League. <laughs> to this day, one of the best things about Major League is Bob Euchre's iconic performances. Radio announcer Harry Doyle in quotes like "just a little bit outside," and this guy threw at his own son. <laughs> this guy threw at his own son in a father-son game. <laughs> Among zingers, during the Sports Illustrated oral history of the movie, Euchre, who is radio announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers, revealed that producers told him just to riff while fi- while filming, and he didn't have to follow the script. And That's smart, I know. Um, major, this is something everyone knew. It had a different ending, but it performed poorly with test audiences. Um, and it. It's got a great sports ending with overcoming the odds and defeating the New York Yankees, uh, which also foiling owner Rachel Phelps planning on moving the team to sunny Florida, Florida after an abysmal season. Uh, the original plan for the movie was thankfully walked back, had a scene in which Phelps revealed that she didn't want to move the team and her diabolical plan was just a way to motivate the team to avoid bankruptcy by buying a ro- building a roster of cheap players. According to the Los Angeles Times, the big twist ending made it far, uh, made it as far as early test screenings, but audiences reacted to it poorly because they hated the owner so much. With yeah, that well, line, why does she need a redemption? Right, she didn't. They dropped it. Those are some things about Major League I didn't know, except the ending thing. Hmm. Um, and I'm, now you know them. And knowing is half the battle. I also like Major League too. I'm sorry. That's okay. You're allowed to like it. I like it. 
I'm sorry, but as the kids say, I'm not sorry because I love it. The kids are cool. Kids are cool. We are. The kids are all right. Kids are all right. Talking uh, offspring here? Yeah, I am. Nice. We are all done this week. Do we know what we're doing next week? Did we talk about it? No fucking clue. We will have. You know what I'm going to do, Squeezer? When I'm in Las Vegas, I'm going to nose to the grindstone and figure it out. Oh, that's a smart thing to do in Vegas. Well, on the plane. I got five hours on the plane. Okay. And go. then we land. I'll send it to you. Then we'll do our, our stuff. And then I land Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, we'll be back for another episode. Getting ready for our summer season. Six year, our sixth Woo-hoo. summer. Six summers at a rad years. Our sixth or fifth? I don't know. We started in November. Uh, let's see. Let's do math quickly in the rad years. So okay. November 2016. So 2017 summer was our first. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. This squeezer is our seventh. Seventh. Summer. Did you also use your fingers? I did, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I had my toes ready because it's warm. That's, it's warm in Pennsylvania, so. Hey, I, yeah, I'm, I'm stockless too. Normally, I didn't even turn the heater on down here. I, there's probably... Everyone's like, wow, there's not this low droning sound no. behind Squeezer. I have the window open and I'm in a t-shirt and shorts. And I don't have a blanket and my space heater on. Nice. And last week I did. Yeah. Well, it, it is don't put them away. Yeah, it's currently 65 degrees. It was 83 today. It's going to be warmer tomorrow. Uh, and then it's going to drop back in the cold temperature. It's Pennsylvania, everybody. We're not. Don't act like we don't know what's going on here. Yeah, we know it's going to. We know it's going to. Um, oh, oh. And it, Oh, we got to pick a date in May. Four? Uh, Are you going to come over and help me build my deck? Yeah. Oh, cool. But why? Is that for the show or for the... Oh, no, just... uh, Are you trying to hold me accountable to all the fans that I'm going to come help you? Yeah, and you're going to be like, oh, did you come help build the deck? I mean, (laughs) if you were going to just grill chicken, you can do that. Mr. Trucker and I will just, you know... Put some boards down. Uh, I could do man things. Of course you can. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of the Rad Years Podcast. Until then, I'm RK. And I'm Squeezer. Two hours, everybody. We'll see you. <laughs>